Untitled Beatles Podcast. Hey, TJ. How are you, man? Hey, Tony. I'm well. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Yeah, this might be our last podcast for a little bit. I'm, I don't even know. Our schedules are getting intense, so we might we might not be doing new ones for a while, but you never know. You really never know. But I just wanted to say I have been enjoying these last many months, it seems. <laughs> we started this towards the beginning of the pandemic. The pandemic is still going on. I have not received a vaccine. I don't know about you. I, I have not yet. I'm looking forward to as I will get a vaccine as soon as I am able to. And uh, I'm glad you kind of brought up the future of the show a little bit, Tony, because um, I, I fucking quit. And uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not going to put up with the, the way I'm treated and the way my oh. fucking family's treated. I got to deal oh. with this now. So, yeah, peace and love. Go fuck yourself. I'm out. But I'm back okay. because I need the money. So here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. We pay ourselves in scrip. This is like company money. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like what Henry Ford imagined with Fordlandia. We're going to start our own Beetle Island with Beetle money <laughs> and Beetle <laughs> and Beetle servants. <laughs> it's America's favorite anti-Semite, Henry Ford. Standing on the corner watching all the Fords go by. Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. I would be remiss if I didn't mention my name. I'm Tony. And I'm TJ, and I'm excited about this episode because this is not just, I think, one of my favorite solo Beatles albums. I think it's one of the most important solo Beatles albums for a lot of reasons. And this would be George Harrison's final album, Brainwashed, which came out in 2002, November 18th, to be exact. Yeah, and it was his 12th studio album, if you include Wonderwall and Electronic Sound as being his first two records. And it was his first album in 15 years, basically since Cloud Nine. He hadn't put out a, a new album of studio material, not counting the live in Japan stuff. It's a great swan song, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's, it's great, not just as a George Harrison album, but what he was able to say while he knew he was dying. Yeah. They're probably, you know, Plastic Ono Band for a different reason, but these are probably the most personal and painful lyrics to ever appear by a Beatle on record. And they're not sung from a perspective of pain. They're sung from a perspective of spirituality. Yeah. But it's a sad record. Most of the songs written and completed um, as he knew he was dying. George Harrison died two and a half months after 9-11. And this record came out almost a year after, a year and a couple months. And the world was really troubled at that time. Fall of, I think even Christmas of, of 2002 was still weird and fucked up. And the one year anniversary of 9-11 a few months before was still kind of a lingering thing. And, and the, yeah, I'll just say it, the stupidity of the wars that were brewing um, yeah, made this a really terrible time and made this record, this record impacted me so much then. Listening to it again impacted me. Because it's a beautiful record that also makes me very, very sad. Interesting. Yeah. I admire his braveness in approaching death and knowing that you're going to die. And he worked on this record till the very end. In fact, he, he gave instructions to his son, Danny, and then Jeff Lynn, who was producing it, to finish it. And I think they did a really great job kind of coloring in what he left you know, unfinished. For all of the kind of BS Jeff Lynn takes for overproducing, including from George Harrison, and if you look at Cloud Nine and some of the Wilbury stuff and some of the Petty stuff and certainly the Roy Orbison comeback, and ELO, Jeff Lynn was a big sounding guy. Different than Phil Spector from the same school of things sounded big and full. Uh, John Lennon referred to him, to ELO, as being son of I Am The Walrus, right? So. Right. Right. So ELO was inherently Jeff Lynne, a, a beatle kind of band. And um, unlike Oasis, most ELO doesn't suck, which is another <laughs> story to Oasis not held up well. Um, I agree. I love what George Harrison would shit on Oasis in like 95, 96. There'd be moments where he just thumb his nose at, at the Gallagher brothers. Oasis have always made it well known what massive Beatles fans they are. But as far as George is concerned, the band would be better off without their lead singer. It's silly, I feel a bit sorry for him really because I think he's totally missed the bus and I think it was proven when you see the band without him singing. 
you know, they're more in tune. You know, I mean, he's just excess baggage, I think. And all he does is, you know, make people think what a bunch of prannies they are. Today. Well, I also admire the humor he had going into it, too. The working titles for this record were Portrait of a Leg End, mm-hmm. which is, you know, play on legend, leg end. And then <laughs> the other working title, which is prescient, Your Planet is Doomed, Volume 1. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a big theme for him at the time of his death. If you remember the All Things Must Pass reissue, he revised the album artwork. It just overlaid in the original, was colorized kind of garishly so with highways and smokestacks. He dirtied up the cover of All Things Must Pass for reissue in 2000. So the demise of our ecology was first and foremost on his mind, even up till his death. Yeah. And he kind of addresses that stubbornness in a song that didn't make it that we'll we'll talk about later with uh, Horse to Water. Horse to Water. Now, the core band in this, it's George Harrison. He's doing mostly guitar, but he's also he's got his beloved ukuleles on there. Uh, he plays some bass and some keys, and he's got Dobro going on. Jeff Lynn plays all over this record, mostly bass and keys. And then his son Danny's also on there with guitar and backing vocals, some keyboard work. And then Keltner came in, and I guess Jim Keltner, I should say. <laughs> you know, Keltner, our buddy Keltner. Keltner, get in here. We got a session. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But long time, long time studio guy who's played on like all those records you've heard, uh, Jim Keltner, laid down drums on all this stuff kind of after the fact. It's a really together album. Jules Holland also plays a, a bit on, uh, is it one of the songs? It's that one from the live performance. Uh, uh, Devil in the Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, is the what, cover. Um, Jules Holland's on, who helped produce and played on the last George recording, which was, to your point, Horse to Water. Right. Yeah, this is an interesting record in that This album didn't sell particularly well. We talk about how weird things were in 2002, right? The posthumous final George Harrison album only hit number 18 in the U.S., 29 in the U.K., 27 in Japan, where George was so huge that that's the place he did his tour. Right. His one tour, you know, following all the the, the Dark Horse stuff was in Japan. Again, what else is going on in 2002? LimeWire where everyone's beginning to steal files, Napster, where everyone's stealing files. This is the precipice of the internet being used to kill recorded music. So it's crazy. With all due respect to McCartney 3, which is a great album, if McCartney 3 is in the top of the charts in 2021, Brainwash should have been in the top of the charts in 2002. It is a far superior album to McCartney 3, very different circumstances, but it's just weird that this album barely cracked the top 20 in the States, couldn't even do it in, in his home country of the UK. It was a weird time, man. It was a weird time. In hindsight, we could have used George, you know what I mean? Like his his calm, his peace, his humor, that would have been good. But, you know, we were too busy being mad, I think, or whatever was going on. Passing resolutions about freedom fries. For real. That's where the fuck (laughs) we were. Freedom fries. Totally forgot about that. Great McCartney song from the concert for New York. (laughs) Talking about freedom fries. Talking about freedom. Freedom fries, I will fight. <laughs> now, are you, do you ever dip the, do you do the European thing? Do you dip your fries in mayo? What do you think of that? I am anti-mayo, but I am weirdly like addicted to Thousand Island dressing, which much of which can contain mayo. I'll put, yeah. I'll dip fries in Thousand day and night. I'll dip my thumb in a bottle of Thousand if I've been drinking too much and have a dinner at Thousand Island dressing and then wake up wondering why I'm fat. <laughs> Let me pitch something to you. Please. A hundred grand bar, but instead it's called a thousand grand bar. And instead of nougat, it's that Thousand Island dressing in chocolate. Dude, I love crunchy Thousand Island dressing in chocolate. Also, <laughs> I have an addiction to asbestos. <laughs> asbestos. There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once. Shame on me. Shame on you. Talking about freedom. It fooled me. We can't get fooled again. Talking about freedom. 
I want to say one more thing uh, just quickly about one of the reasons I don't think this album sold. I'm holding in my hand, there was a deluxe edition of this made that was not that much more expensive than the uh, than the regular editions. Came with the Always bonus justifying DVD. I, uh, tell me about it. I've been doing this <laughs> for like, I think since Carter was in office. Um, so I, I was five, by the way. I'm just saying I've been doing it since then. So if you look at this, it's got the brainwash, the dark horse logo with the word brainwashed on top. It's all black with a tiny bit of gray. You walk in a record store, you don't know what the fuck this is. Unless it's, you already own Metallica's right. black album. Right. What is 92. this? It's, so, the, I mean, this is. To be fair, Spinal Tap also had a black album. They did, which which featured, I think, Smell the Glove. Well, you should have seen the cover they wanted to do. I don't care what they want. See, now, this is something, Ian, that you're going to have to talk to your boys about. We're, we're certainly not laying down any And I don't think that a sexy cover is the answer for why an album sells or doesn't sell. Because you tell me, the white album? What was that? There was nothing on that goddamn cover. So, anyway, you pass by this. Like, this this is not a cover that people who are still buying records was going to grab. So, just it's interesting to me that... You, the world, to your point, could have used George Harrison, and I'm glad this album has been discovered in later years and constantly is called one of his best works by critics because it is. I mean, as we go song by song, All Things Must Pass is a quote-unquote better album. I think this album is pretty damn close to that. I think it's certainly his best album since then. Yeah, it's a good record. He started working on it in 1988, and that's where the lead track comes from, a song called Any Road. So it was written around 1988, I should say. But yeah, you can hear his ukulele on there. It's a total classic George Harrison style song with that middle part that's just very surprising and takes you to like a minor key world. Yep. And his vocals, yeah, his vocals sound great, I think, because this is back from whatever, either the late 80s or early 90s. So he sounds really young on this song. He does sound young and the whispering, it's not quite the same as the one, two, three, four of Taxman, but hearing him start with give me plenty of that guitar, he says at the top of this. Oh, right. Yeah. While I think <laughs> Keltner's beginning the rhythm track uh, is it's just a cool moment. And then the, it just kind of explodes in the shimmering series of major chords. Give me that plenty of that guitar. Traveling on a boat and a plane in a car on a bike with a bus on a train Traveling there, traveling here, everywhere, in every gear But all along we pay the price with the spin of a wheel with the roll of the dice Ah yeah, you pay a fare and if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there It's so major that to your point, Tony, when that minor key bridge starts, it's jarring the way the best pop songs are jarring. Yeah. It is so well written and it's joyful. It's a perfect album opener. It was a single, uh, I think only in the UK, made it to number 37. But again, like in what world is any road not a, a top five George Harrison hit single? It's insane. Uh, yeah. It wasn't even released as a single in the States. That's how fucked up the music industry was becoming in 02. It was panic, 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 cater just to 16-year-olds. Yeah, I mean, I think the record-buying public had, you know, I guess they'd moved on or whatever. The Strokes were around around this time, and they were pretty huge. And I get it to a degree, but yeah, these are good songs that definitely got overlooked. There's great music from the early 2000s as well. Flaming Lips. Sure. Um, that one Daft Punk album from right around then. Yeah. The, I'm not saying there wasn't great stuff. I'm just saying this, is, this isn't just a Beatle. This is a Beatle a year after his death. I mean, think about Milk and Honey in 1984. What's a better right. album? Brainwashed or Milk and Honey? Milk and Honey had four singles. That was 84. This had no singles in America. This is 2002. It, just, it was that big of a difference in, in how music was listened to and consumed. Yeah. And also Harrison went out quiet, you know, it could have gone obviously a different way when he was attacked. We've talked about that in the past. A schizophrenic broke into his Friar Park and stabbed him and he thought he was going to die then. After he'd recovered from throat cancer, by the way. Right. That right. was two years after that huge mess in his life. I mean, this is like spooky speculating, but like had he succumbed to that, would the record sales have been better? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. 
Well, <laughs> that's <Yeah>. fun. <laughs> Let's get bright. I like the lyrics a lot here. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. I dig that. That resonates with me. I enjoy wandering. Yeah, it's such a great line. There's a bunch of great lines in there. I mean, you may not know where you came from. You may not know who you are, may not have even wondered how you got this far. This is also one of the first four songs of the album where God is mentioned. I mean, he sings with his line with the most conviction in the song is bow to God and call him sir. And he begins a run of multiple songs that refer to God. And George Harrison has certainly been spiritual before. I mean, in those early Apple albums were revolved around spirituality, but he sure wasn't spiritual on cloud nine or gone tropo (laughs) or the dark horse years. Um, The spirituality had taken a huge backseat. So it's interesting hearing the pop of got my mind set on you where this is love with the religious overtones of living in the material world. Yeah, and he did perform this live on a VH1 thing in 97, which I believe was his last live performance. With Ravi Shankar, I think, yeah. Yeah. It seemed like he liked this song enough to play it out, which was rare. (laughs) So a couple more things on this. My notes on this, it's a reminder that Jeff Lynne produced the shit out of this album. It almost sounds like a cousin to Flaming Pie with that lean Jeff Lynne production. Because it's not overwrought. And it's got that kind of, it's got just enough touches it kind of smashes the myth of his overproduction. I love the yeehaw and Arriba chants before the final solos show the energy. And ending with that ukulele riff is one of the first moments where my eyes begin to water listening to this record. That ukulele riff that just kind of trails off in kind of a skiffle way is really neat. This song lost the Grammy for best pop vocal to Justin Timberlake. I know the Grammys don't matter, but that's interesting trivia. And no, Justin Timberlake is great. That's not meant to be crapping on Justin Timberlake. He's a super talented, but it's interesting. The 2004 Grammys best male pop vocal went to JT and not George Harrison. Why was it 2004 if this record came out in 2002? That's the thing I don't understand. Because the Grammys are fucked up. Okay. Because they are. <laughs> because this song was maybe a single in the UK. Well, because it came out in late 02, the way the calendar works, I don't know. I do know that Toto 4 for a while was a Grammy's most awarded album. <laughs> and it's not a terrible record, but everyone's got to cool it. Right. And Jethro Tull won best heavy metal record or something <laughs> right. in 1990 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the Grammys are stupid. I think all awards are stupid, but the Grammys in particular are stupid. Yeah, the, the Grammys are the definition of corporatist music industry stuff. Sometimes they get it right. I mean, they don't get it wrong all the time, but like Toto 4, came, what else came out that year? You had uh, Joe Jackson's Night and Day. I mean, you had some great, that Marshall Crenshaw debut, you had some great albums right. in 82. I think Gaucho was 82. No, excuse me, Donald Fagan's The Nightfly was 82. It's great, <laughs> great records that year. All right, then we get... Uh, Kind of like a standard rock song. Now, I don't have a lot of notes on this one. P2 Vatican Blues, parentheses, last Saturday night. What is this about? What is P2? What's that, man? PlayStation? My first note on this is what the fuck is this playful song about? It's an infectious <laughs> song. Another song about religion. Yeah. I love at one point he sings like Bob Dylan in this. He just he delivers part of a verse <laughs> like Dylan that I've always loved hearing him do. I have no idea what P2 is. I do know that some of these lyrics feel influenced by the stabbing. How come nobody really noticed a puff of white smoke knocked me out? The truth is hiding, lurking, banking things they do at night. It was the middle of the night that he was stabbed. You know more about religion than I do. Um, <laughs> what's uh, uh, it, One Our Father, Three Hail Marys, is that a common... Wh- what is that? <laughs> nonsense (laughs) (laughs) or nonsense now playing at the blackstone theater if you like pump poison dinettes you'll love nonsense brought to you by arsenic and old lace and that fucking barbershop show Uh, sheer madness i couldn't think of sheer madness god i I feel like that's all i saw commercials for in the 80s tickets at the box office ticketron or call 977-1700 for telecharge yeah i was raised catholic but i rejected it and yeah as soon as i sat down in those pews i basically thought about when's the next time i can play that hockey game at the arcade where you press the button and it goes boo (laughs) the foosball (laughs) hockey thing (laughs) with the dome (laughs) 
USA versus Canada. That's all I Uh thought about. I daydreamed. I thought about building one at home out of paper. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was doing at church. (laughs) And then thinking about girls at school. So, yeah, I don't know. I wish somebody would tell me that it's only a show. Confess, oh, not let's face it in my concrete tuxedo. It's quite suspicious to say the least. While mentioning it to my priest, one of all the three Hail Marys each Saturday night. Uh, what's a concrete tuxedo? <laughs> well, yeah. What's a newspaper taxi, right? <laughs> Great point. <laughs> well, then we get the, what the third song is Pisces Fish. Yeah, this one has some wild lyrics, huh? Yeah, this is this is another one. This we talk about his commentary on the destruction of the earth and pollution. This one kind of has that message song feel to it. Yeah. It's almost like a Cloud Nine style ballad. It's got that kind of Cloud Nine feel to it. But yeah, it's about him, right? The lyrics on this album, Tony, move me about again because of the circumstances of its release. A little bit this whole album feels the way watching the wheels does to me. Now, granted, John didn't know he was going to die when he wrote that song. There are some, by the way, who still insist the conspiracy minded will say John was ill. It's why he looks so gaunt and he had premonitions that he, he wasn't long for the world. Regardless of that, that's not where Watching the Wheels came from. Right. This album feels in part inspired by George knowing what his fate was. Sometimes my life feels like fiction. Some of the days it's quite serene. I'm living proof of all life's contradictions. One half's going where the other half's just been. It's like he knows he's dying and he's singing about that in a George Harrison spiritual way. That's how I interpret the song. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, I think he's trying to kind of wake us up to what's going on in the world, meaning it's kind of destruction by the hand of man, by humans. I didn't mean to gender it. Yeah, like he's trying to warn us, like mad cows being put to sleep. You know, he's talking about the horrors of back when mad cow disease was in full swing, you know, perhaps when he wrote this. I will say the chorus really grew on me. There's a kind of a Neil Young feel to this song. Totally. It's the kind of guitar figure after the chorus feels like something on Harvest. I'm a Pisces fish and the river runs through I'm a Pisces fish and the river runs through my soul I'll be swimming until I can find those waters Let the one unbounded ocean up, please that's flowing to your parents, sons and daughters But still an easy thing for us to miss You're totally right Yeah, I really like it And then the next song has a Tom Petty feel Looking for my life Yeah, it makes me wonder when this was written Like, was this written during Wilburys or something? Or did Tom Petty's influence make its way there. It's not like it sounds exactly like a Tom Petty song. I'm just saying when I heard this song, I I heard some Tom Petty. It does have that Tom Petty sound. I think some of that is because of the Jeff Lynne production. Mm -hmm. He's got that timpani. Right. That's kind of a hallmark of that late 80s, early 90s Tom Petty and the Roy Orbison comeback and the Wilburys. So yeah, that's where I think it sounds a little Petty-esque because it all sounded like Tom Petty in that era. It's one of the reasons they were all so close, I think. The trust of Jeff Lynne. One of the things I love about that is how geeked up they all were about Roy Orbison, that when they were all in that room together, all they could talk. And it's one of the reasons that the follow up 
something was missing, and that was Roy Orbison, not just vocally, but his spirit as well. Totally. This is another one, Tony, the lyrics. I never knew that life was loaded. I only hung around birds and bees. I never knew things exploded. I only found it out when I was down upon my knees looking for my life, looking for my life. This feels directly like like the attack. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's addressing some heavy stuff. The next uh, chorus had no idea I was heading toward a state of emergency. I had no fear where I was treading. I only found it out when I was down upon my knees. Then he says, oh, boys, you have no idea what I've been through. Like maybe he's singing to Paul and Ringo. So stuck that I can't get to you. I had no idea that I was getting toward a state of emergency. I had no fear where I was training. I only found it out when I was down upon my knees. Looking for my life. This song gets me. This is an eyes well up moment when I hear it. Yeah, because as we've discussed before during that attack, he did start chanting. He thought that he was going at that very moment. And I always forget that it was in the middle of the night. In my head, it always happened during the day. But no, it's completely dark, right? They were in their pajamas, yeah. Olivia came down in her nightgown and attacked him with a lamp. And that's what finally subdued the attacker. I mean, thank you. (laughs) Thank God. Thank you, Olivia. And she is such a picture, and I mean, anytime you've seen her, certainly before George died, but in the years since, she's such a picture of, she's a beautiful mom and a beautiful soul. She's the epitome of class and grace, and um, she's just a, a wonderful woman who clearly also raised Danny very well. Danny, who lost his father quite young in one of the most tragic ways you can. Yeah. And it's cool that he's playing all over this record, and that he was able to have these moments with his dad. It's really great. You can see how much he looks up to his dad. It helps when your dad's a beetle. But, you know, it's not like they were. <laughs> Tell that to Julian. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> much too late for goodbyes, my man. Yeah. See, there you go. Exactly. So scratch what I said there. What I meant was just like, you know, when your dad has accomplished so much greatness in his career. You know what I mean? That's what I was perhaps driving at. Not as a human being, but he was a a good human. It seemed, you know, he was a human. (laughs) He wasn't perfect. uh, Clearly. And you know, the Scorsese documentary, the two parter is a great insight into his humanity. It's not just like a, a long worship piece. He gets into his, uh, his mistakes. I wish it was longer. Even with the bonus footage, I could have watched anthology length story on George Harrison. Now, it's funny, you mentioned Oasis earlier. This next song, Rising Sun, I wrote down Oasis feel. And I wrote down with the string section, it's very beatly. So to me, it feels, I think it does have that kind of 90s Oasis-y thick sound, but sung by a beetle. Right, right. And maybe that's what it is. It's that Beatles-influenced production on a 90s era record that makes it sound like oasis yeah i like this one a lot it's like a minor key it kind of hops i like those slide guitar flourishes and the solos are really nice Oh, the 
the solos are beautiful on this. His slide guitar has always been so wonderful, but the influence Hawaii had really given his life in those last years, you can hear the influence of Hawaiian music in so much of his solos. And in fact, we're going to get to it. Yeah. The next song is total Hawaiian guitar, but even in this one of the solos, it's interesting because George did a lot of sequels. You know, he had Here mm-hmm. Comes the Sun, then mm-hmm. there was Here Comes the Moon. This song is, of course, Rising Sun. You know, he did uh, This Guitar Can't Keep From Crying after While My Guitar Gently Weeps. But he said something in this song, a lyric that's from a quote he made in anthology that's always kind of haunted me a little bit. He sings in this till your nervous system starts to tilt. And one of the George Harrison takeaways from anthology since the day I saw it was about the fans. They gave their money, they gave their screams, but the Beatles kind of gave their nervous systems. They used us as an excuse to go mad. And hearing him then bring that phrase back, he was enough of a Beatles scholar being a Beatle to know the connection of that phrase in one of his last songs, I think. I love it, yeah. I think that's why a lot of people really dig George, because there was kind of a bitterness involved with him and an honesty and a truth about, you know, everyone thinks like, oh, it must have been great to be a Beatle. You know, you're on top of the world, et cetera, et cetera. But man, no, they're crammed into (laughs) hotels, shuttled around in cars. They had no privacy. The only privacy they, they ever got was in the bathroom. One of my favorite pictures, though, I want to say it's from either 66 or 67, And it's a picture of George at Abbey Road in the studio, and he's wearing a sweatshirt that says, like, stamp out the Beatles on it. (laughs) I love that picture. And he's got a big smile. I think he's drinking tea or whatever. Tony, he's one of the forces behind the Ruddles, based on his uh, relationship with Monty Python. Like He wasn't afraid to send himself up. He'd already been part of the madness. He could take it down a notch with the reverence of being in it, (laughs) a member of it. Yeah. What made him so unique, I mean, he was equal parts bitter and optimist, spiritual and realist. He kind of embodied so many qualities and so many flaws that made him seem that much more accessible. His debut song that he wrote for the Beatles is called Don't Bother Me. This is at the beginning of their wave. Right. I think it was because he had a cold, I think, was why he wrote that song. Oh, but still, the fact that that's his slant, you know, John's introspection is uh, there's a place. (laughs) George is singing, don't bother me. I've always loved that. No, you're right. He could have turned that into like, oh, I feel terrible and turned it into like a heartbreak song or something. But he was like, no, buzz off, man. It's caustic, but that's part of the brilliance of it. So, yeah, this is another one that especially the way it kind of ends, that very pretty ending. This is another kind of my eyes water a bit. The next song, my eyes weep when I listen to this. This is a song I used to listen to on flights all the time when I would travel before the world changed. That totally makes sense. Yeah, Marwa Blues. It's an instrumental Grammy award winning. I know I just shit all over the Grammys, but hey, this one got it. Yeah, it's very relaxing. I can see why you would. I'm not, I don't like flying. I, I'll drive over flying any day. I'm like John Madden that way. But, uh, and in other ways, too. <laughs> you, you, you called games on CBS for years, and then you kind of sold out and went to Fox, but yeah. I do it without express written consent from Major League Baseball, <laughs> by the way. So I'm punk rock that way. Now he's going to unload with that right arm. So Johnson has to get his load ready to go load to load. And the fans boo when you do that. Tough to stop it. But this, it's an instrumental. It's very, yeah, as you had mentioned earlier, very Hawaiian sounding with the slidey guitars. It's based on the Marwa Raga. It's meant to color your mind to perhaps bring on a melancholic feel at sunset. It also brings on a melancamp feel at sunset. Little ditty about Jack and Diane. <laughs> Your vocal was great on that, by the way. <laughs> Anytime we do Cougar, you got to commit. I used to teach an improv music workshop called Commit to the Cougar. On this is a cool song. I don't know what to say other than, yeah, it's it's a, a beautiful, relaxing instrumental that, that does. It does have, it's got a melancholy feel. At the same time, it also brings peace. I think a lot of people are afraid to feel bad anymore. I mean, you have to. Otherwise, what does good feel like? So I don't know. I think it's cool. I think it's a cool thing to do. Make a song with a melancholy tint to it. It's a beautiful song. You know, he has a nice instrumental on Gontrapo called Grease that's pretty slight, but it's still pretty. 
what he achieves here, the kind of Hawaiian guitar with the Indian background, it's almost like a weird fusion song. It's like when people talk world music, that's what George is doing here. It's got that weird Hawaiian ethereal feel, but then it's got this Indian backing and they play together so nicely. It, there's nothing else in George Harrison's catalog. I mentioned Grease, the instrumental from Guntrapa, which is fine, but there's nothing else in his whole catalog. All the years he was making records, it sounds anything like this. It feels in many ways like a crowning last achievement for him. I know there's no words in this, but this is almost his parting wah-wah in terms of a statement. You said he likes to do sequels. He did do a sequel to that other instrumental called Grease 2, which <laughs> didn't do as well. <laughs> Come on, everybody, gather round. I'm going to show you how to knock him down. I'll give you the whole fucking... That's the bowling song, right? <laughs> let's bowl, let's bowl, let's rock and roll. <laughs> I was such a nerd that at camp one year for the talent show, I, I put together a uh, medley of songs in Grease 2 and called it the world premiere overture from Grease 2 because there was never an overture. <laughs> I love the reverence of the world premiere. I get it. <laughs> I, I, got I get it. <laughs> got weird. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to your new listeners. Now, this next song is actually my favorite song on the record. And typically, I just found this out, typically George put his favorite song on his albums as the seventh song, where, you know, John had nine. I guess George had seven. I just learned that. I never knew that. I did not realize that. Yeah. Russell, did you realize that? No, I did not realize that. However, since this was, you know, posthumously released, this is Danny's favorite song on the record. And it's mine too, Stuck Inside a Cloud. It's a great song. It's, it's really poppy. What do you think of this song? This is another one that makes me weep a little bit, especially coming off Marwa Blues, because, again, the lyrics here, I wish I had the answer to give, don't even have the cure. That's pretty much direct commentary on his dying. And to hear him sing it that literally just is just gobsmacked. He sings crying out loud every time, except the last time he sings crying as we part. Knowing as you leave me, I also lose my heart. Talking to myself and crying as we part. It is him saying goodbye. And whether it's him saying goodbye to Olivia or Danny or us, this song is a centerpiece in his catalog for very similar and even more important reasons than the aforementioned Marwa Blues. This song is just all kinds of moves. I'm going to probably talk about it now. Talking to myself, 
Yeah, it's a really cool song. It's real moody. It almost has like a, if I may, it almost has like a disco feel to it. It sounds like a moody, almost like an Andy Gibbs song without the hi-hat thing, you know? So forget disco beat. I'm just talking about the mood that those records had in like the late 70s. I really like it, but it also has George in there, you know, putting his spin on that. Yeah. And Tony, it's not a disco song and it's also not a sappy ballad. His delivery and the playing on this makes it almost feel like an up-tempo number. It's wild. It is a hallmark of any serious assessment of George Harrison's solo career. And then there's a song that he gave to Clapton back in 91 or around that time, I should say. It's on, is it on Journeyman, right? It is on Journeyman. As I think I mentioned on this program, I struggle with Clapton now, especially since he became some weird anti-masker. He and Van Morrison had that weird fuck. Two people. I love Van Morrison, too. Yeah. But Clapton was like a top 10 guy for me for a lot of my life, and I still love the old stuff, but his comments now make it tough. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, he was basically about like the free us from this prison angle on things, which is it's just selfish, and it comes from privilege and being able to do whatever you want for <laughs> most of your life. No question. It drives me insane. But the Journeyman album was in the heart of my loving Eric Clapton. That album, I saw him on tour a couple times. In fact, I was at the show where Stevie Ray Vaughan was killed. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show before. Right. I might have. I, every time I say that, I've done it 10 times. So, right, yes. right. 90, right? Or was it 89? It was 90. It was August of 1990. I remember hearing about that. I was playing like beach volleyball with my friends. I forget how. Maybe it was on the radio. Anyway, yeah. So I love the German album, and I knew the song as being part of that album up until I heard Brainwashed. I knew George Harrison wrote it, but I never knew he performed it. So it was cool to already know the song. And the George Harrison version is way better. A cool bit of trivia on here is it's Jim Keltner playing drums on the Journeyman track as well. So Keltner's playing drums on both the Harrison version and the Clapton version, which is kind of neat. So Far. Did we mention the title on it? Run So Far is the title. Also playing guitar on this on the um, Journeyman track is Robert Gray. Oh, how about that? Yeah. I mean, friends in high places. Blame it all on my boots. You talking about that guy? Are you confusing Robert Gray with Garth Brooks? (laughs) Yeah. Don't you get them mixed up? <laughs> no, I just meant that, you know, like when you reach a certain echelon of guitar goddery and, you know, you're all hanging out and not wearing masks or whatever. I don't know what Cray's thing is on masks. I'm not trying to lump him in with the weirdos, but. Breaking on the Untitled Beatles podcast, <laughs> Robert Cray, COVID denier. <laughs> okay, so then we have a song called Never Get Over You. So this one, to me, it's, this is like the most adult contemporary song on this record, I think, right? Yes. Th- this song sounds like it could have been on 33 and a third or the uh, self-titled album. Yeah. But he's always got an interesting middle part. I'll always say that. It's like a completely different song in the middle there, which for me, I was thankful for because I wasn't vibing <laughs> so much on the, the AC stuff. <laughs> yeah. But then the hook goes to minor. The words never get over before it resolves in the major for you. Never get over. Minor comes out of nowhere, Love it. which is such a George touch. We talk, don't bother me. It's very George to express this longing in a way that feels dark before resolving to light. You want the coldest heat. Cool me in my 
So then we have a funny thing that was recorded in 1991. I guess, so Jules Holland had a TV show called Mr. Roadrunner. <laughs> funny title. Mr. Coyote was taken. And <laughs> 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 yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> See, comedy, timing. <laughs> so it's a cover. It's an old Cab Calloway song, or as this thing corrected me, Can Calloway. <laughs> Autocorrect. <laughs> well, I don't know. Can, can he? <laughs> Do the can can, Susie Quattro. Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. This is a cool song. It's cool. Yeah, it sounds nothing else like the record. This is a fun, it's almost like a bonus track, but sandwiched toward the end of this LP. One, a two. A one, two, three. I don't want you, but I hate to lose you. You got me in between the devil and the deep blue sea. I forgive you, cause I can't forget you. You got me in between. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. And George Harrison's done some cheesy covers before. One of my favorites is a Cole Porter cover of True Love on 33 and a Third. He's got a couple Hoagie Carmichael songs on Somewhere in England. So there's been some George Cheese. Got my mind set on you. It's kind of cheese. Oh, yeah. So he's done this kind of stuff before. The playing and the joy of this in an album of sadness and introspection, this song just has always popped out of this track list. It is perfectly placed. It is so much joy. The tuba, I'm forgetting, as Herbie Flowers might be playing tuba on this thing. I think that's right. It's just the orchestration's fun. The Jules Holland piano. Jules Holland of Squeeze. By the way, right. quick tangent, one of the most underrated rock piano players of that era. Like, he's on that list of of Hornsby and Joe Jackson and Billy Joel. Jules Holland is criminally underrated as a rock pianist of the 80s, without question. Cool for Cats. Yeah, Cool for Cats. What, what a great song. Uh, Tempted. Yeah. Black Coffee in Bed. Squeeze is underrated. Yeah. Those two writers of Squeeze were Lennon and McCartney disciples. They were huge Lennon and McCartney heads. Yeah, man. That makes sense. Yeah, and it's cool that he got to play a role in anthology and... Like, he conducted most of those interviews, if I'm not mistaken. I think almost all of them. He was with Paul McCartney on his boat and by a fire. <laughs> Your opinion on anthology is one of my favorite emails. <laughs> I saved it. <laughs> yeah, we'll dig that up when we come back. We'll explore that. That'll be fun. It's a great one. There's so many absurd moments. Paul brushing his hair while driving a boat at night. Like, what's going on? You couldn't get him in a studio? Like, like Michael Jordan in Last Dance just had a cigar and a bourbon. Why is Paul on a boat in 1994? <laughs> Rubber soul. Hey, hey. Another great Jules Holland song, Tony, you might know. Sometimes I dream that he is me like Mike. If I could be like suitcase, some toothpaste, a flannel for my face could be like Mike. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We are the Untitled Beatles podcast. We're going to take a break. <laughs> oh, no, we still have a couple more songs. I'm sorry. Well, we've been talking about Hawaii a bunch in its relation with George Harrison. And uh, well, this song is called Rocking Chair in Hawaii. That's what I'm getting at. Hawaii had a big impact on his later years. He owned a home there. And in fact, there was some difficulty he had. We're trying to get land along the shore in Hawaii is supposed to be kept open to anybody. Hmm. Uh, George Harrison, especially after the attack, tried to sue to get his land private so they couldn't have trespassers. So he kept fighting that battle, especially after what had happened after he was uh, stabbed by an intruder. But this song is really difficult because as we get into the last, the closer of the album, this is the song where to me, he always sounded the sickest. His voice in this, mm. other than Horse to Water, which is the stray track that he did with Jules Holland that's not on this album, it's one of the songs where he really sounds very, very ill and weak, and it's a tough listen in that respect. I'm going down to the river Gonna take me my rocking chair Going down to the river Gonna 
said i like it and it i mean it has a vacation vibe to it which yes i don't know if like you're nearing death vacations well that's what inspired that go-go song <laughs> <laughs> if you break that down it is a sad song yeah vacations all i ever wanted vacation I had to get away <laughs> vacation meant to be spent alone meant to be spent alone yeah it's a sad song The last song is the title cut from his last album. It's called Brainwashed. Yeah, this is a real wild vocal for George. He almost has like a character voice going on at times, would you say? I would say that. It almost feels, to your point, that he's got a character going on. It almost feels like a Paul Medley musical song, the way this song goes into different parts. Yeah. Not many George songs are this ornate with different passages and parts. This song is, it feels to me, and this is not a connection I made when I first heard this in 02, but listening to it again, maybe because I've been so immersed in Plastic Ono because they're our 50th episode we did for that, this feels like his version of God. Hmm. It's a list song, inherently. Brainwashed by the media, brainwashed by the press. It's everything he's brainwashed by. And then it switches yeah. in the chorus, pleading with God for guidance. So the the verses are a litany of things that are complaints about what's ruining him and us. And then the chorus is asking for help from God. It's just a stunning song, the way it plays both sides. And there's that chanting at the end. It's really haunting. The chanting at the end and the prayer in the middle. The soul does not love, it is love itself. It does not exist, it is existence itself. It does not know, it is knowledge itself. How to know God, page 130, is that passage in the middle. And then he goes right back into the uh, the verse. I mean, it's like we were saying earlier, where he's trying to kind of like wake people up to the fact that this planet, it's, if we keep going the way we're going, you know, it's not going to be around. If you're going to choose to procreate and da-da-da-da, like... They're in trouble, man, unless we wake up and turn things around. I like that he cared. He's pointing out, like, these are the things that are wrong. <laughs> I'm on my way out. I know it. Here are the things. Here's a to-do list <laughs> while I'm away. All great writers and musicians are prescient, right? Like many of the great ones can see the future and find a way to make it poetic and in this song that was released in 2002 and recorded well over a year before, brainwashed by the media, brainwashed by the press, he sings brainwashed by mobile phones, brainwashed by the satellite. He's already commenting on things that have now become so common for us. And it, it's interesting because he had a song called Devil's Radio as well right. around the Cloud Nine era where he's venting at the media too. It makes me wonder what George Harrison would have thought about what he saw from the Trumps and the Sarah Huckabees Ugh. and the Sean Spicers. Right. Because George Harrison, I think, was against, uh, I think some on the right would say, ah, but George, see, he knew the press was lying too, but it came from a different place from George. George believing the press was lying was George being frustrated with the dumbing down of media and its contribution to us becoming a dumber society. Not because it had a liberal bias. 
Right, right. Yeah, I think he's talking, well, I don't know, but it seems that somewhere in the 90s that news became entertainment and that's kind of where we've fallen and, you know, our reporters have become celebrities and our politicians have become celebrities and not now, but we've had celebrities run, you know, and, and win. Reagan, Trump, the Jesse, the body Ventura. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of your state. Yeah. My state. I mean, I'm, I'm from Chicago, but yeah, I know no, what you dude, mean. <laughs> you're all Cali now, Holmes. <laughs> How's everything on the 405? <laughs> It's currently backed up. Well, it rained. It finally rained here today. So, you know, that means people don't know how to drive. and People wiping out on the 405, <laughs> taking corners too fast. I, I get it. When I was dealing with eight inches of snow here in Chicago two days ago, I was thinking about how rough a chilly 68 degree January day <laughs> is in Southern California. California. But yeah, so and, and forgive that liberal rant, but I did want to make clear that I don't believe this is George Harrison commenting on being brainwashed by the media the same way some criticize the media now. This is not George Harrison saying fake news. This is George right. Harrison thinking the media had been dumbed down and was dumbing us down as a collective. Right. News becomes entertainment. Right. Well, let's quickly talk about the very last song he ever recorded, Horse to Water. Yeah, this is one that was on an album called Jules Holland's Big Band. Jules Holland, as we mentioned from Squeeze, kind of put together. It's a good album. It's got a bunch of um, classic rockers like Sting and uh, I think Van Morrison's on there doing uh, covers. I think Sting does Seventh Son. It's not a bad album. But at any rate, it's him sounding ill. And, you know, I know we're going to get into the song in more detail when we do our like weird stray George Harrison songs, but it's the last song he ever recorded and released. A friend of mine in so much misery. Some people sail through life in struggle reef. Said, hey man, let's go out and get some wisdom. I guess it's about his stubbornness in quitting smoking, really. It's actually a little more upbeat. I was expecting it to sound worse, to be quite honest. So I was I was pleasantly surprised. And I like the humor that he has when confronting death. Like he's, he's just kind of owning up like, yeah, I didn't quit smoking. I, sh I probably should have done that. But I'm like a horse to water. And, you know, this is another one where he talks about he uses the words nervous system. Yeah. You know, this is a friend of mine in so much misery. I mean, is he referring to himself? There, there's a lot to unpack in the song that I let, 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 let's get into when we do our, because he's got tons of stray songs yeah. from Cloud Nine up through this last one that's worthy of a whole episode because the quality, including the songs cut from somewhere in England that wound up in that Genesis Publications book. Um, there's a lot of songs the there that are worth analyzing. Genesis publication? You, you mean the Bible? No, no, no. Uh, it was the uh, it was the sequel to Invisible Touch. <laughs> like, and here's where I vary with Phil Collins. I can't dance is one of the dumbest. Like that is to quote something from our last episode. I can't dance is this generation's Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> wow, you brought it all back together. Jeepers Creepers, where'd you get those peepers? <laughs> Don't stop, stop referring to my peepers, guy. <laughs> Well, TJ, I'm going to miss uh, doing this on a, on a regular basis for a while, but uh, we will be back, and I look forward to that. I'm roping you in when there's Breaking Beatles news, and we do have special surprises coming up for you as well. So Tony will be back shortly. He may be back shorter than usual. And uh, <laughs> thanks, everybody. This has been so fun, and uh, I quit. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs>